0: Start the fire It was always burning since the world's been turning We didn't start the fire It was always burning And it's the end Welcome to This Is How We Die, a podcast about cities, infrastructure, natural disasters, and how you can survive. I'm Megan. And I'm Megan. Hey, Megan. Hi. So, Megan, tell me, how do you think I'm going to
1: die in L.A.? So, once again, I've thought about this a lot. I'm offended. (laughs) Stop (laughs) trying to kill me. Well, then we shouldn't have this be how we start every episode. And I, I like to make things elaborate for you. So here's what happened. So you, you, ha- you are married and you have a child, but for whatever reason, your husband is now in the Arctic on a long adventure, and, and so therefore, therefore you're bored, and you decided to become the Bachelorette. Sure. Yeah. So you are the Bachelorette in LA, and um, one of your dates, and you, one of the, the one-on-one dates is that you guys decided to go, like, you know, to the almond orchards. Or no, no, the wineries. The
0: wineries is where you're supposed to be going. I mean, that's more romantic.
1: Yeah, and so you're there, and in the, in the you're drinking your wine. He's sharing with you whatever his deep secret is, because that's what happens on the one-on-one dates. Yeah, I've never seen this, so I'm I, I, happy you're filling me in. Yeah, like, this is pretty much all I know as well. <laughs> but anyway, so you're on this date... And you guys are just falling madly, madly in love. Okay, so there was a water pipe main that broke because the water pipe main was so old and not replaced. And it was what was irrigating the winery. And so whenever that happened, it loosened the soil underneath one of the trees that you were sitting under for your picnic. And it fell on you and killed you and whoever your one-on-one date was with.
0: See, this is heartbreaking because not only am I killed by deferred maintenance, but like I'm an adulterer. My husband's not even dead. He's just off in the Arctic. I'm just like... I
1: think was had like an agreed legal separation.
0: <laughs> like if you ever go to the Arctic, I can be on a reality dating show. It's actually right there in our ketubah. That's just how things go. <laughs>
1: That makes sense. I and mean, you're like, if he leaves you to go in the Arctic for some random adventure, like, he's not going there for a scientific purpose. He's just going there to, like, hang out.
0: <laughs> As one does. As one does. Well, I, so offended by the amount of time you spend thinking about how I will die, have been having visions of you recently. <laughs> and they all involve almond orchards. <laughs> <laughs> so what I picture is that you outraged by the amount of water that is involved in almond cropping. That is not the word you use for growing, but I'm going with it. <laughs> Have decided that you will protest. And so you start setting up signs all the way down the roads, right next to these almond orchards, saying, almonds are evil and stop wasting money on almonds. Take down big almonds. Yeah. Like, sounds like me. Yeah. So you're trying. You're working on it. But the almond farmers, they're not pleased. And they never They come- never are. They come in their, you know, pickup trucks, you know, play in their, like, hillbilly music with pitchforks and, you know, burning sticks. <laughs> and, and they take you down.
1: Oh, no. I was murdered by, by farmers with
0: pitchforks? Yeah, you were murdered by those protecting Big Almond.
1: Well, I did grow up in Pennsylvania. I guess that's always kind of how I expected to go.
0: <laughs> so, as you may have guessed, we're talking about Los Angeles. California, in case anyone wasn't sure which Los Angeles.
1: California. da 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 da.
0: I believe knows how to party.
1: (laughs) I forgot the rest. It's been a while. It came out like years ago.
0: and which Megan doesn't remember how very popular songs go. (laughs) So for California, we're focusing on the absolute worst case scenario. And I know you think we're going to say earthquake. And you know what? Earthquakes in California are a big risk, and we're not going to pretend they're not. Except that we talked about it last week
1: with Seattle. How many times do you want us to talk about earthquakes? We can talk about it forever, but that's not really what we're trying to do here. Each city that we choose, we're choosing it because it's the perfect case study for this particular hazard. So we did earthquake for Seattle, but for L.A.,
0: we're doing... Well, that would be mega drought and inferno. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. So historically, the worst drought experienced in this area was about 240 years long. So that's a really big time to be having a drought. And I think the second longest was about 180. And the most recent um, has been just in the early 2013 through 2016, I think. Yeah. Um. So when there's severe drought... What we saw recently was, obviously, water stores become less available to L.A., but in the mega drought situation, we're really talking about the land becomes barren and a barren, arid wasteland, the water reserves are totally exhausted, and... That really leaves them so much more susceptible to things like we've seen this year, like wildfire, like the impacts of losing all your forests. And I only learned today that the Carr fire actually experienced a little known phenomenon called a firenado in which like fire fueled by very dry fuel in a very hot environment uh, just becomes like a tornado of fire. So, oh, the flashpoints. Yep, yeah. mega drought, inferno, fire nato.
1: So there is an alternative, and so that's if the San Andreas earthquake um, slices all four aqueducts from Los Angeles, cutting off the water supplies to four million people. Even the emergency reservoirs that are specifically held for earthquakes, and so whenever the fire starts, there's no water to put it out. Um, and then furthermore, the delta levees they break. And the fresh water um, is contaminated by the seawater for a massive parts of California contaminating the entire water supply in the state water system
0: and we're talking about how you can survive So before
1: we start this I should say that I've been looking forward to this episode more than I look forward to Christmas
0: Yeah I've had to explain to Megan a few times that uh, we can't get into in-depth, wonky water politics and policy, we have to give an overview.
1: It's been hard for me to edit this down. We've had to edit this down a lot. My original thing that I was going to send to you was like 25 pages. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. This
0: is going to be too much. Los Angeles is a city in a desert. It's right there on the ocean, but it isn't pulling water from its own region, Los Angeles is dependent, 85% actually dependent, on water that comes from outside areas. And that includes water from three main sources, the Owens River, Northern California, and the Colorado River. They have some of their own groundwater. That's kind of where the um, 15% comes from, but everything else is coming from water in faraway places that they're bringing through various rivers and canals and aqueducts and pieces of infrastructure and pumps that they've built over many, many years and lots and lots of controversy in order to continue serving the water needs of this metropolitan area.
1: So whenever we talk about this infrastructure, it is insanely complicated um, and there's two whole different systems that are involved in this. So you have, your, um, you have your Colorado River aqueduct, which you will probably hear us talking about this aqueduct a lot because it, this aqueduct does not just serve California. It serves a good amount of the West and down into Mexico. So, so many of, uh, so much of the the southern states, um, western southern states are very, very dependent upon this aqueduct. Yeah.
0: And the Santa Ana winds.
1: So this is the part where we talk about the insane complexity of the California infrastructure. So Megan, whenever you think of the the Colorado, like the California infrastructure, like what words come to mind?
0: um complex, old, uh, brought about by slightly shady means, continues to be a little bit uh, dishonest about how they get their water.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would say that that is spot on. That's completely how I would also describe California's crazy water infrastructure. So as we said there's three main components. Um I mean there's also some groundwater, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, but talking about the Colorado River Aqueduct, the Aqueduct it, it starts obviously in Colorado and it goes through several southern western states. And because there's no comprehensive water plan with the federal government, like the water is all there, it's like ruled by like kind of like states' rights, and they negotiate with each other and work with each other for these water rights. Some federal oversight, but for the most part, it's just these states together duking it out in this eternal battle for who has what water
0: it's very much like a sibling rivalry thing where they all want what the other one has and they can run and tell dad and dad might write a cease and desist letter but outside of that is not going to do any actual parenting
1: yeah he's like don't do that kids that's really bad like california so golden state also the golden child of this situation (laughs) And they just keep on taking and taking and taking. And all the other states are like, hey, dad, he's stealing all the water. The father's like, no, don't do that. Be a good state. Don't steal all the water. And California says, I do what I want. And this water's mine. Surly teenager California. (laughs) But still the golden child somehow. Must be a firstborn boy. Absolutely. It covers around 250,000 miles. It provides water to 30 million people. Um, it irrigates 4 million acres in both the US and in Mexico. Oh, don't let's not forget about poor Mexico, like the stepchild of this situation. That's like, please, I need some water. And they're like, here is this salty water.
0: Here's what we had left after we had our meal. Yeah, like, here's what you get. Oh, that's so sad. You get three olives and a
1: piece of bread. Oh, my God. My heart's like, oh, that's actually not a bad analogy it's very true and very sad should something happen to this infrastructure which since it's so large and so enormous and so vulnerable and so aging is very likely it would take six months for full restoration and and we've seen like that our our grid our energy grid our water water grid is just so vulnerable to like the most happenstance
0: Accidents, like over time. I mean, we're good at fixing it, but there, it is vulnerable. That just recently happened to us here in Washington, where our natural gas pipeline blew up in Van or er, in British Columbia, and we were suddenly being asked to like moderate how much you. Uh, natural gas use we had. And Puget Sound Energy was saying, like, ooh, hold off on the natural gas use. We don't have that much coming through. We're having to buy it from other sources. They were lucky in that they did have a second pipeline, like, running parallel they could bring up. But days that we were going without, with, like, being asked to use less heat or not use our natural gas in the ways we normally would. It tends to be that,
1: like, for whatever reason, like, natural gas pipes are... Well, because they're pretty flammable, they are a little bit more like maintained, and there's more redundancies with those, and with some parts of the water pipes in the infrastructure, that's true. But other parts of this water, this this water infrastructure is so ramshackle, it's mind boggling.
0: Well, it's and it's rule, it's far away from people and like other infrastructure. It's just sort of out there, like funneling water on its own, not being. Not really having an eye kept on it in large portions of it. So, so all alone, doesn't anybody
1: care about the water infrastructure? The State Water Project, Megan.
0: (laughs) So the State Water Project of California supplies two-thirds of the state's population, um, but it only supplies about 30% of Southern California's water needs.
1: So we have our earthquake faults, you know, our San Andreas, our Hayward. These are like very scary things, but there are also lots of smaller localized faults. As we said, we're not talking much much about earthquakes today, but in this circumstance, it's actually worth talking about. So they built all of these, but it basically made, consists of hundreds of little levees, and these levees were built on peat, like which is like a really soft soil and sand. That our least favorite but most likely scenario will occur, which is liquefaction. Liquefaction. Liquefaction is always here to haunt us. It's like our constant threat. Like, no matter what, there's liquefaction lurking around. And so if you just imagine, like, in sand, when you build, like, sand castles, like, that's how I kind of imagine these levees. Because you can build everything you want on it. But the thing is, it's built on sand. And peat, and so if you build something on soils that are that um, soluble, it, it's never going to be steady. Like you can build the the most safe house ever, but if you build it on quicksand, like it's gone. And so these levees, even though they've been reinforced and retrofitted and have all those things, like they're still on unsteady soil. The danger about this is if one of them breaks or two of them breaks, it doesn't take that much. The salt water can get in, and once that water gets into it, the entire system could be contaminated with salt water. Making it brackish, which is slightly salty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Miss Glossary. So why then, when there's obviously a risk of earthquake, we've brought it up so many times, like, why is it we're focusing on drought? And that's because it's a risk so specific to Los Angeles that, like, really an earthquake would be devastating to the infrastructure and drought is devastating to the people and the economy.
1: Drought is basically, I think of it as like a slow-moving car crash that like slowly turns into, you know what it is? I've just thought about it. It's not a car crash. It's a multi-car car car crash and a whiteout. So one car crashes, you don't see it. Then another car crashes into it and it doubles. And so it's becoming more and more treacherous as time goes on as more and more of these cars like crash into it. But people don't see it because, you know, there's, all this snow and it's a blackout it's a whiteout i'm from pennsylvania like this is a problem we actually deal with a lot is like whiteouts and multi car crashes so this is where my mind is going so a lot of the problems with drought is that everybody kind of just has this like hope that it'll end and most of the time it does end but for like australia like their drought lasted i mean it never really fully went away but it was really bad for like 10 years in cape town as we saw Their drought lasted for, it's still going on. So we're going on year four. And California had a four-year drought. But everyone thinks like, oh, it'll rain soon. But the thing is, is that the effects amplify. Like every with every car, it gets worse. But people don't see that because of the whiteout slash they don't want to see it in real life.
0: Yeah, and I think that's... One of the really important things to say about drought, yeah, eventually it might rain. Eventually, like, yes, you could bring water in, in theory. Um, Transporting water over large swaths of distance when you don't have the infrastructure for it is not as easy as it sounds long term. Drought has an incredible impact on the natural environment that, like, bumps up against this infrastructure as well. You're not getting the kind of water in that you need, and you have this urban heat island that's, like, intensifying the heat around you, and you're starting to see things like the huge wildfires that moved through California over the last few years. You know, there were two devastating ones this year, but those were not happening like, oh, my gosh, where did this wildfire come from? Because they are actually seeing devastating, expensive wildfires happening year after year.
1: Yeah, and for a lot of the parts of California that had, they had to do a lot of groundwater pumping, they didn't have any recharge for that those, that groundwater. And so the ground decreased by like in some places as much as 40 feet, which I mean, besides that being crazy that that much water was taken from the, the ground went down by 40 feet. It means that the infrastructure on top of it it was cracked, it was broken because the ground, was, the, the infrastructure wasn't built to be that flexible to be able to go up and down with the water level. A lot of the problems that we're seeing today, they stem from like the drought that we had from like 2012 to 2016. But there was also another drought earlier in the 2000s. And these two drought takes a lot of time to recover from it. And they were kind of They weren't back to back, but they were pretty close. Like I think there is a way that we can draw a direct line from the wildfires that we saw today and the droughts that we experienced, vulnerabilities in our critical infrastructure, not just water infrastructure, but like the like the highways and everything to those droughts as well. So it's it's not as visible. It's not a visible, dramatic hazard like everything else. But in a way, it's much more treacherous, I believe.
0: Water is one of those things we don't value, even though it's so like incredibly important for human beings to survive, obviously. You can yeah. go longer without food than you can go without water. But we don't value it in the same way we should because it's always been so readily available to us in the U.S. And we don't see how drought is affecting not just like, oh, can I wash my car? And like drought is also taking down agricultural industries. It takes down other forms of industry. Like you don't think about how much you need water for these things like manufacturing, like washing stations. We manage all like diseases through like these basic things like hand washing. And that's actually what keeps, it's kind of the barrier between us and like constant illness. It really is like Something that is, like, quietly touching every part of our life, and we just don't value it. The thing to also think
1: about for California is I'm not worried about L.A. having no water,
0: going around like zombies, like being like, water. No, they're a rich city. They, uh, they'll they buy their way into water if they need it. Yeah. They'll
1: buy their way into water, but it will get more and more and more expensive. They'll probably be able to pay for it. But there is study after study to show that whenever water gets more expensive, that people obviously choose to drink less and less and have less and less. But you need a certain amount to not have drought conditions impact your health, which weakens your immune system, which makes you more vulnerable to diseases and falling ill. But there's also the quality of water, which is that at the end of the day, If people are thirsty enough, they will drink anything. And if they can't afford the clean water, they'll drink whatever they can't afford. And I can't fault them for that. That's what you have to do. But with that, that also increases the amount of risk you have to disease. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that a lot of the areas that do not have clean water, they have the highest incidence of waterborne illnesses. And they're not that far from the U.S. border. In fact, a lot of them are on the border because they don't have access to affordable clean water. It's important to kind of think about that because whenever you're faced with it, water is completely inelastic. You will pay whatever you need to. And so there's like the marginal value, right? So for that first gallon of water, you'll pay $500. Maybe for the next gallon of water, like after you're like no longer literally dying, you'll pay $250. So you're dealing with people who will pay that much money. And in some developing countries, people pay as much as 22 percent of their income, um, which the UN says like five percent of your um, disposable like food and water like food income is how much you should put towards water. Right. That's just like for your like discretionary budget, not 22 percent of your total income. Study after study also shows that people, they will pay for clean water because they know how important that is. It's important to think that in a drought, it's not that you won't have any water. It's that the quality of water that you have and the price at which you pay it are the biggest issues. Yeah, And the L.A. has like a long history of being. How do we put this, Megan? The L.A. Water Power District. Uh, Yeah, they're power thirsty. Power thirsty, water thirsty, and very, very crafty. So they've been managing to get water for like a long time.
0: With earthquake in Seattle, we talked about, like, secondary impacts and the things that might come from an earthquake. With drought, it's really like an earthquake could still happen at any time. The Santa Ana winds could blow in and really, like, spark up your fi- wildfire Wait, season. Wait, okay, so
1: I had to say, like, we talked about it a little bit. We sang that song. From <laughs> Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> yes. But I'm still a little bit perplexed about the Santa Ana winds Except that they make people weird. So, like, can you tell me a little bit (laughs) more?
0: Well, the Santa Ana winds, technically a katabatic wind, they're these hot, dry winds that blow in, and they actually bring, like, pollen spores with them that aren't normally in Los Angeles, so it's, like, a horrible time for allergies, which, as a person with bad seasonal allergies, sounds like, like, literally a curse has been placed on me. (laughs) Because they are this, like, very hot, dry wind, you mix that with, like, hot, dry landscape, and they can really be an incredible trigger for things like wildfires and, um, according to a crazy ex-girlfriend, just making things weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of really do want to experience them now, though. You should come with me. It'll be great. we <laughs> will be full of allergies, and we'll have lots of whimsical experiences.
0: Okay. So... Drought-caused forest fires are also, like, this huge self-perpetuating issue. I mean, all forest fires are, but um, fires add all this carbon to the environment. Then the trees aren't there to do their role in, like, not only cleaning the air and bringing, like, bringing down carbon dioxide levels, but also um, trees play a really big role in drawing moisture out of the air and bringing it back down to groundwater. And so without them there, like... We're just setting ourselves up for, like, further drought and further wildfires. So it's really, like, once we start down this, like, path of drought and wildfire, it looks like a very dry and fiery path ahead.
1: Wait, do you mean to tell me that, that the trees are there for a reason and that they somehow complete, complete the ecosystem in this way to
0: mitigate these effects? No, the world just, like, fell into all of its pieces, like, randomly so that humans could just destroy it and build things over it and pave
1: Um, <laughs> And so Urban Heat Island, which we've talked about before, which is the secret killer, right? So heat kills more people in the United States than any other form of extreme weather. The CDC says it kills around like 660 people every year. But it doesn't even take into consideration deaths for which heat is an exacerbating condition. So that's your cardiovascular disease.
0: That's your asthma. That's your diabetes. That's your kidney disease. I'll pay $25 to go to hot yoga but on a hot day I literally just like melt to the ground incapable of moving.
1: (laughs) I cannot handle hot yoga. I went into hot yoga and the lady got so it was broken yoga it's like so it was super intense it was an hour and a half they like they didn't lock the door but they like strongly encouraged you not to go out the door five minutes in i was like i can't do this and she's like you have to be, be strong and work through it it's like no i don't and i just laid on the
0: mat and just like waited for it to be over i like the hand movements you made for laying on the mat look like like a possum <laughs> playing dead. <laughs> it really was
1: I was like, it was literally my version of hell. I was like, so this is what hell is like. (laughs) Not only am I in a hot room that I can't get out of, my torturer is this like very annoyingly zen yoga teacher. He's trying to get you to put your leg behind your
0: head. Being secretly judgy, like passive-aggressively judgy. So Urban Heat Island, just like a hot yoga class that kills you. Exactly. So there's also a precedent for looking at LA and being like, I'm a little bit worried about that. And that would be a little place you've probably never heard of it called Cape Town. Cape Town
1: is a very stunning example of what complete a lack of foresight in city planning can do, which is drive an entire city to the brink of extinction.
0: Yeah, you had a city talking about day zero, the day that they would no longer be able to fill the water pipes. And let us just
1: remind you if you forget where Cape Town is. Cape Town is surrounded by water. It's a Cape Town. It's a port town. It is there is water everywhere. They had a desalination plant. They just didn't bother to hook it up. And the thing is they had this wasn't like a drought as you know isn't like an overnight situation. This drought started in like 2015 and every year they're like, "Well, it'll rain eventually." We, we're not going to worry about it too much oh and we still need to like give like lots of water to our our wineries like like two counties over so they still get all their water and so this precious water that they needed for like their population to live handing out for agriculture which it's hard right because whenever you're dealing with trees and groves and wine and wineries and there's You have to water them every year, otherwise they die. And so it's not just that year's crop, it's future crops. It's your economic future of your area. I
0: get that. I understand that. Human lives, still more important. Well, and one of the like things about Cape Town is that they, the reason they kept saying like, oh, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, don't worry, It's rain is definitely just right around the corner, is that they were using like these rain models they've been using for years and years and they just like would not update them to reflect changing climate and the fact that we are having longer dry periods, looked at them and were like, I have faith that this will continue to work this way. Water's coming any day now. It's that gut feeling,
1: right? It's the the idea like, oh, well, it's always rained before. We've had dry spells before. It's this idea that you have a better understanding of the situation than you do. But as a quick rundown, for the diversity, the water diversity, Ninety nine point six percent of Cape Town's water came from reservoirs, three out reservoirs. So that means it was three reservoirs that were running lower and one Finnegan's water shop in like Cape Town was their <laughs> water supply. They didn't have any backup plan. They they had desalination plants like they had them approved for funding. They, they had them all this, but they didn't build them. They had one that was built, but they just hadn't finish building it and hooking it up so they as i said before they're surrounded by water so what i'm trying to say is it didn't have to be like this even if they just managed their water a little bit better if they just diverted less water towards their agricultural needs and then also they, they had really confusing messages whenever they were trying to talk to the people in the city. They, like, gave them these level five restrictions where they kind of gave them more water. But they were saying, like, this: you're allowed to use this, this much water, but this is for—or or this much water, but it's for households with more than eight people. Because the—so whenever they normally allocate water, it's for households with the assumption that there's four people in that household. But there's a lot of vulnerable populations that have more than four people. They have lots of kids, so they have maybe eight people. So they were trying to do something good for those people and give them more water so they have, like, more allocation because they didn't want those children not to have enough water. But they didn't actually explain that whenever they were disseminating information. So people got confused, thought the crisis was over, got a little bit more lax. And then, like, a month later, they hit them with the city-critical water shortages disaster plan. Which is the actual name of the plan that they released in 2017 and sent the entire city and, like, the world into, like, a panic where they're, like, okay, like, this is how much water you have. And if we use this much water, we might last until, I think it was, like, July 2nd or something like that. It was or they, uh, they, they 2018, kept, uh, yeah. 2018. They kept on, like, pushing it back and back. But it was, like, less than a year.
0: Emergency managers sure know how to name a
1: plan. Yeah, like, critical water shortages disaster plan. Like, just call it doomsday. Just didn't call it like oh, but I guess they did. They day did the day zero. Day zero.
0: <laughs> the day the water ended.
1: <laughs> so the thing to remember about Cape Town: this entire situation could have been avoided.
0: And you might say like, oh, it's not a big deal because they ended up getting the rain, and they ended up like conserving enough water so that they could wait until the reservoirs recovered a little bit. And now they've they've indefinitely pushed off day zero, though literally it's still hanging over them. But they that restriction of water use in 2018, that 60% restriction, it had a major economic impacts for the area. And I'm not just like, oh, isn't it sad that like you know, the wineries didn't get the water they needed. It was, like, almost almost 40,000 jobs lost in Western Cape Town province. That really accounted for, like, 50,000-plus people getting pushed below the poverty line because they no longer had, like, the economic stability they'd had before and because— the price of food, the price of water, this inflation like went way up as people tried to buy their way into some kind of water security. So it's not just, oh, things looked really dire and then they turned out to be OK. It really it made a huge economic impact on families all across like Cape Town. So now, you know, in a little bit about what the infrastructure looks like and why we feel so very passionate about it, <laughs> I don't think we've ever gotten heated the way we can get heated about water remarkable since it's such a cooling liquid oh how have we gone ahead and made this worse with the infrastructure we've built and just our general lack of respect for water respect your water people
1: there's so many ways we've made this worse like for california for la i think there's this organization right are they the villain are they the hero like nobody knows are they batman are they joker like we just don't know are they the serial killer of the black dahlia? Maybe. And the, it's called the LAWPD. What's that stand for, Megan? Los Angeles Water Power District.
0: Right? Sounds like an ominous name. It is, and they
1: are Let's just talk about the the victims of LAWPD, which is Owens Lake and Bakersfield. Like has like Megan, let's talk about Chinatown. The movie that
0: I have actually have not seen but I need to. I did watch it in preparation for this episode. Um, it turns out, watch that, and then I started reading the Wikipedia page um, as my kicking off point for research on this. And I was like, oh,, um, it turns out this fictionalized movie really didn't get the facts so straight. I assume that might have <laughs> happened. Yeah. Um, but I mean, let's let's just pour a little one out for Owen's Lake, which used to exist, but doesn't anymore. Thank you, L.A.W.P.D. The best description of this comes from *Cadillac Desert* by Mark Resner, which is all about like California water wars and infrastructure, which he calls the way L.A. got their water that ended up draining Owens Lake, that feeds so much of that aqueduct, um, as chicanery, subterfuge, and a strategy of lies. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that sounds exactly right. Like, they literally went into cities. And they're like, oh, we want to build a hotel. Can we buy your farmland for excessively, like, inflated prices? And these farmers were like, sure. That seems like a bad deal for you, but okay. So they sold their land, not realizing that the water rights are also being sold with it. And the thing is, they they bought all the land that had the the upstream water rights that will go to the rest of the city in the town. So, like, in this, in the book Catalog Desert, now, granted, it's been, like, four years since I read it, so if I get this part wrong, I'm sure somebody will yell at me, but I'm, this part it your mind slightly burns in my mind, so I don't think I'm getting it too wrong plus
0: you can yell at us on twitter and instagram just let us know find
1: us tell me that i'm wrong so the last farmer like sold his farm and then the lawyer that was kind of standing in these deeds he was like what is going on like why are they buying for these prices then all of a sudden this like smart little lawyer was like wait a minute and he put it all together and so he like ran to go get this guy who was buying this land he got him minutes after he'd gone to the post station and sent the deed out and is, the thing is, if he got in there, like, 20 minutes earlier, he could have gotten that last deed, and LA wouldn't have gotten all the water rights of that area, and they would have water today, and their entire city would not have died, and their orchards would still produce things, and they would still be not a desert. But instead, he got there too, too late, and they proceeded to build pipelines and drain every last drop, because... Whenever they got the deeds, they didn't even give them any water for themselves, for sustenance. Like, they didn't give them even sustenance water. They took every last drop of water from there.
0: And L.A. has done this multiple times. I mean, not the people of L.A. I don't think you're all evil or anything. But, like, they've been sued over and over again for, like, draining lakes and causing, like, bird refuges to be, like, suddenly very dry and— and they've had to, like, actually cut back on where they're drawing from because, um, you know, they don't always take the approach they took uh, with, like, the Owens River and, like, literally buy all the water rights. Sometimes they're just, like, siphoning it away and hoping no one notices until their lake is, like, nothing but mud. They
1: have, a like, 100 years now of doing terrible things so people don't trust them. Speaking of our water, so the thing is, is that we're, we keep on talking about L.A., right? But L.A. uses some of the water. But 80% of the water that's used in California is agricultural. And so here lies the millennial dilemma, which is that California produces all the high value, very water intensive crops that we as millennials love and cherish. Mm, the healthy fats. Mm-hmm. We need all those omega threes that we can't get from fish. Apparently, um, we want our almonds, our pistachios, our our walnuts, except for you, Megan, because you're deathly allergic. We want our grapes for the wine because we love our wine. We want our arugula and other fancy lettuces. We want our strawberries, our tomatoes, and I guess kind of our hay. So we love these foods, but. The thing is, is that it's it's really bad. We're, we're using water that we shouldn't be using for it. Almonds are, you know, here's the thing. I, like every millennial and every person, loves almonds. But the cost of it is it's killing our bees. We should have diversity within our crops. Um, and that's what keeps them healthy. That's why we have to use so many antibiotics whenever we have, like, thousands of pigs, to- pigs together and thousands of cows because they're not supposed to be like that. And so it's the same way with all the the almonds and so there's no biodiversity in that area but more to the point it's extremely water intensive you cannot not water them you can't let it fallow like you can't with a normal crop because it's a tree crop so if you don't water it for like one year they all die so lately like in the past like 20 years because those crops have been so lucrative they've just escalated investing in
0: these very
1: expensive crops um, and very water intensive crops
0: though Lest you think that Megan is just blaming millennials in the United States. Oh, I'm not. She's blaming them all because almonds are also one of California's largest exports. So we're using a lot of water here to send almonds everywhere else around the world.
1: Yes, this is true. Like, it's not just millennials, but I'm saying that as a millennial, it's a tough thing to read.
0: I'm doing my part by being definitely allergic to walnuts. So no worries, guys. I'm not gonna waste a bunch of water growing almond or walnuts. And I stopped buying almond milk.
1: Making you look so sad. (laughs) I used to love almond milk, but now the guilt the guilt gets me. I like look at it and I like look at all the almond milk in Trader Joe's. And I think of how much water it costs to produce all that almond milk. And I have guilt. And, but I also wish that I could drink it.
0: Cas- or classic Catholic water guilt.
1: Ca- classic Catholic water guilt. But I've reverted back to cow's milk, which is awesome. It actually has more protein, I guess. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then another problem that we have, how we made this worse, was the American Dream Complex.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: As Americans, we do all have this idea that we are deserving of like our house with the white picket fence. And the green lawn. Ooh, sweet green lawn. Yeah. We all want the green lawn. And so it's something that people have a lot of trouble giving up on. But we shouldn't be having those green lawns because you live in a semi-arid area. Like, embrace it. Like, you should just have, like, a stone yard because that's where you chose.
0: Uh, What will dads mow on Sunday mornings, though, to prove they're good dads? I don't know. Maybe they'll play with their kids instead. Actually, my dad both played with us and mowed the lawn, so renaissance Can you do it together. Is,
1: is that why you have no hands? <laughs> <laughs> I have hands. He does have hands. That was a poor joke. Uh,
0: lawns are uh, environmentally devastating, however. They require a lot of water, and they do absolutely nothing for your ecosystem.
1: Basically, if you have to water your lawn more than, like, a couple times a year you probably shouldn't have one.
0: Yeah, you should do lawns the way we do here in Seattle, which is that they're lush and green all winter long and brown as can be all summer long. That that
1: that Kondo, Kondo, like the cleanie, the new, the lady.
0: These are all just words, but none of them add up to a sentence like follow. That's true.
1: So on Netflix there's this show Oh Marie Kondo. Kondo. Marie Kondo where she goes around saying like does this bring you joy? Does this not bring you joy? And so think about it. Think about how annoying a lawn is. You have to plant it and water it and grow it. And does it really bring you joy?
0: And does it bring you more joy than a clean glass of water?
1: If not, maybe don't have one.
0: Now we're getting into, like, you've been passionate about water policy, and I'm very passionate about deferred infrastructure maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed you are. I call it the PG&E problem because they've been so bad about maintaining their electrical infrastructure. And in California, that has led to so many wildfires, not necessarily like these. Every one of them is a raging out of control wildfire. But PG&E has to track how many wildfires and like small fires are started by their equipment in these like dry, brittle forests that they're out in where they're not maintaining infrastructure the way they should. And since they've started having to track it in, I think, 2014, 1,200 wildfires or small fires have been started by this infrastructure.
1: And we should also note that this is entirely avoidable if we just done what they do almost everywhere else in the developed world, which is instead of putting on a post and stringing it, through the trees that are <laughs> dried out and brittle, everywhere else in the world buries their pipelines underground. And electrical cables, yeah. And electrical cables, yeah. That's
0: I mean, like that the... and a little bit of forest raking okay. like the Finns do.
1: This is a reference to something that Trump said a few weeks ago where he said that the finisher are out raking their forests. And then the forest decided to troll him. By having lots of pictures of him, them raking the forest.
0: Yeah, yeah. The president of Finland was like, I don't remember telling him we rake our forests. Uh, We actually just try to do good forest maintenance. I bet they keep up on their infrastructure, too.
1: I bet they do. But don't worry, Megan. We have a plan that's almost as good. And actually, it's much better. It's called the goat Fund me. Goat, as in
0: adorable little creatures? Yes,
1: innocent goats. But you know what they also do? They eat dried out branches and leaves. And so there's a goat fund me so that the goats can go around eating the dry brush in
0: California. There you go. PG&E is totally off the hook. We've got this. We've got goats. We we found this solution.
1: It's like whenever like uh, Chicago had that horrible rat problem and they like tried everything and then all of a sudden people were like wait a minute like cats catch rats and all of a sudden there was like this run on stray cats where people were trying to like get stray cats into their area and then they were like trying to make the stray cats love them so they would stay <laughs> but it's like hard to make Stray cats, like, it's hard to make cats love you in general. Like, (laughs) making stray cats that don't, like, that you've not known that long love you, it's much more difficult. There's, like, a whole series on it.
0: It's such a fool's proxy, though, because then everyone's like, we're overrun by cats. What eats cats? And at the end of it, you've got, like, wolves running around stealing children because you've just, like, added one thing after another after (laughs) another. (laughs) Here's an arctic fox. This will solve the problem. (laughs) All right. All right. So we've talked about, like, what we're doing, what we built, and then how we maintained it so freaking poorly that there was no way it was going to be able to serve as well. Like, it's remarkable how well it's served us over these years. So that brings us to Megan's favorite section because she named it Prepping, Prepping, Prepping. Dun, dun, dun. So we'll start with what's in our survival bag.
1: I will start.
0: (laughs) I don't know why I froze
1: there. I will start. <laughs> For me, it's the tap dance choreography from Singing in the Rain so that I can encourage the rain with tap dance.
0: Oh, but not a rain dance. That would be cultural appropriation.
1: And tap dance is much more effective, you see, because whenever you're tapping on the ground, like on the concrete, which is like, you know, capturing all that urban heat right so i'm like kind of messing with like the heat dispersion going up into the air which i hope if we know enough of us tap dance we'll all mess with the dispersion of heat up into the air and cause the rain to happen real science folks <laughs> guys this is going to work i can <laughs> feel it in my bones um obviously the life straw water bottle and the iodine tablets because i mean you're in a drought guys you need to be cleaning your water All the time, especially if you can't afford to buy the potable water. And even if they are selling you potable water, they might be selling you fake potable water. They might say that
0: it's clean water, but really it's, like, gray water. It's true. You're out there, like, dying of thirst and unable to water your lawn or your crops, which are far more important because, you know, food. Yeah. And then here comes some shyster with his fake potable water.
1: And he's like, here, like, take this water. Actually, when I was abroad... For a year, I was sold fake water.
0: Yeah. So if somebody tries to sell you Jimmy's totally real potable water, like maybe ask some questions.
1: (laughs) Don't be like me, guys. Ask the
0: questions. Test the water.
1: Um, A straw hat because it's probably going to get hot. But only from May
0: 1st to September 1st. Haven't you ever heard about the straw hat riots in New York City? No. Yeah. Like, when straw hats came about, lovely as they are on a hot day for keeping your head cool, and at a time when men always wore hats everywhere, um, a, like, unspoken rule in New York City came about that you would only wear them from, like, May 1st to September 1st. And, like, if you were still wearing your straw hat come September 2nd, like, teenage boys would take it upon themselves to, like, knock it off your head and stomp on it. And like there were a like whole... the
1: newsboys. <laughs>
0: sure. This is, this is like the newsies, the but newsies. they're running around attacking people's hats. And but like a whole set of riots happened in which like teenage boys were just running around crushing people's hats because they wanted to still wear them in hot weather. And like those people would then like try to fight the teenage boys off. And like police were like breaking up brawls over straw hats all over the place for like a weird two week period in September one year.
1: So this is what happens when people don't have smartphones. <laughs> this is what they do to entertain themselves? <laughs> this is
0: how people used to entertain themselves. Straw hat riots.
1: And then um, also just materials for a homemade desalination kit, which is... Reverse os- osmosis is reverse your friend. Reverse osmosis, yeah. It's, and it's not that hard. You know, you just need some saran wrap, like some sort of like... like Thing like straw, like thing that you can put to like keep it up, like like tent it out, and then just like some sort of glass, and obviously your salt
0: water and a lot of time. See, and I feel like you're going like a little low tech, and I like I'm gonna buy the membranes. You can build like a real reverse osmosis kit at home for approximately five hundred dollars. So, this is not like a fun cheap hobby that I'm gonna set up.
1: It's divided into like in your survival bag and like at the moment. So I'm thinking what you need like at the moment, like your go your get out bag. So I won't I wouldn't be able to have that whole big setup with me. Yeah. So like this is like my survival bag is more of like a water world situation where you're like in a really bad situation. Oh yeah, sunblock. Lots of sunblock. Um for this I'm actually kind of going to go with like white wine. Yeah, I like it. Because I need something to remind me of a civilized world whenever I'm living in a Mad Max world. And so Where hydrating. there's no water. Yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe I'll just have, like, water and vodka mixed together. Like, so it depends on, like, how bad the situation is. <laughs> okay, so what's in your water bag?
0: In addition to my incredibly expensive and complex, like, reverse osmosis that I'm mm-hmm. clearly going to be doing, um, I'm going to have the food and water that I need to kind of take care of myself, maybe for some bartering needs if I need to trade, like, food for clean water. Uh, canned goods, because they're usually packed in water. I'm sneaking it in anywhere I can. So so we're assuming
1: for your situation you're not actually getting like, – this is, like, a stay-at-home situation.
0: Well, that's the thing is, like, I would also definitely build a go bag, a, like, go right the second bag. And maybe even like keeping that in your car at all times instead of like expecting that I'm gonna get to be at home at all is what I'm gonna go for in California.
1: Yeah. Um so I guess the scenario that I was creating is that there's just no water. Like they, you like <laughs> open you turn on the sp- like you open the
0: spigot and there's just nothing there. And so um or faucet. Yeah, and that's what Cape Town's plan was. Cut off people's homes and have them gather at water like distribution sites so that they could really, like, you know, set it out to people as they came up. And, um, like, but, like, what does that mean? Like, people can barely take time off to vote in the United States, and we're going to show up, like, at a water site every single day and not go to work. Mm-hmm. So how do
1: you survive at the moment? Um, so... Once again, this is one of those things. Don't wait and see. Okay, so if you are hearing that there is a lot, there are lots of problems with the water and there's a drought condition, don't try to wait it out, especially if it's, I mean, if it's like day two of a drought, like don't worry about it. But if you are going on uh, like a, a good amount of time and there is more and more conflict because of it, there's more problems because of it, Um, the water quality is getting lower, this is a time when you need to start thinking like, how do I get out of here? Who do I know? And, um, you know, be afraid, like, right away. Like, assume the worst, which is maybe people tell you that's not the worst, the best thing to do, but it also is, like, going to allow you to, like, actually make the preparations. Now, that's, that's exciting.
0: Well, I assume you just, like, buy land in Alaska, right? You need a place to escape to somewhere with some good water rights.
1: You know my plan so well.
0: It's totally reasonable.
1: Yeah, I like people, like, what are you going to invest your money? And I'm like, I'm going to buy land in Canada. With water rights.
0: <laughs> like set up water for purification for your house. That's like what I'm gonna look at. And like that's gonna look like a few things. So obviously the ability to like purify water as it comes in. Um, but also like having the tools I need to do things like rain cisterns so that I can store rain water and then treat it and purify it and actually drink from it if I'm starting to like pull from what are my personal emergency supplies.
1: And, and also just for basic upgrades for your house, like let's say you even need a new roof, um, you should replace it with a cool roof, which will help offset like – um. so for ur- urban heat island, it will keep your house cooler. It require less energy. So it's actually more energy efficient anyway, but it will also be very helpful in the time of a drought because you won't have to worry about the heat quite as much and um, it, you won't have to like use as so much energy for – for cooling and you won't need to drink as much water because it won't be as hot. And, um, you should also try to plant more trees, but like not dumb palm trees or really water intensive trees. Like, um, LA actually has like a plan, um, where they give you free trees that are both like drought resistant and really pretty with like purple flowers. My like last ditch attempt in that situation is like kidnap Matt Damon, because according to our cinematic history, the U.S. will spend any and every last penny that they have trying to save him from whatever situation he's in. What are all the movies where we've tried to save him? Well... The Martian. Every time he's been one of those borns. Oh, yeah, they, oh yes, and they spend so much money trying to capture him, too. They spend so much money on Matt Damon. So if we can just get Matt Damon, we know that they'll come to our rescue and save us. So how do we... As you have no comment to that? A group.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I literally just let that go. Like, I guess we'll kidnap Matt Damon. That's a totally reasonable <laughs> next step. <laughs> so how do we as a people, as policymakers, as voters, um, make it better?
1: Um. The very first thing I think that we can do is we could diversify, diversify, diversify. We need to diversify our water portfolio, um, where we get our water from. We need to make it more resilient. We need to, like, um, have all sorts of different types, not just, like, four different reservoirs. Like, we need our reservoirs and our treatment plants and our desalination. And we don't have to use all of them all the time, but we need to have those options open. Like, we should have, like, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, like, for our water.
0: Right. And this is, these are policy decisions and we're not, we're not breaking new ground saying like, please diversify your water sources because like LA's mayor released his like resilient Los Angeles plan. And it really focused on reducing that reliance on like far away water sources and bringing it to be like, to to aqueous independence. The idea is that like by 2035, they'll be at 50% like local water sources. And that's like, A pretty reasonable goal for LA, but independence is also not not out of reach, but it requires that diversification and it requires people to actually stop using as much water as they're using wastefully right now. Like during the droughts, the people of LA reduced their water usage by almost 6%. And, like, today it's only 1% less than it was pre-drought number, of the pre-drought number. So, like, okay. they really just, like, ran back out and started wasting water as soon as they could.
1: So, basically, they were like, oh, like, the drought's over. Let's celebrate by, like, having, like, a huge citywide water fight. Yeah. <laughs> all that water that we've been saving,
0: like, we need to utilize it now. Yeah, like, I didn't get to use all the water I wanted to last year, so I'm going to use it this year. And we're going to have to innovate, like, getting those drought-resistant crops, driving diversity in water, like, we can't just look to, like, groundwater and aquifers and snowmelt like we always have and been like, like, okay, that's a good enough source of our water because, like, that's not going to be enough. We have to find other ways to, like, repurpose water. The way cities are built, for example, like, th- when they were built, it was very much like, ew, gross, all this storm water, get it away from me as fast as possible. I don't want it, like, in my streets and in, in my yard and now we're sort of realizing like that's really good water falling from the sky that we can use for things and la has started to build like smart water systems and like water gardens that kind of like capture water and help it filter into the water system in like a healthy way instead of just like rolling away into pipes and getting dumped into like saltwater areas and then there's the ever-unpopular option, I think because they have named it so very, very poorly. Um, but that would be wastewater recycling or the disgusting name of toilet to tap.
1: So whoever brands this, they need to be jailed because this is the worst name I could ever imagine. I think it must have been branded by someone who, like, hates this idea.
0: Let me just tell you a story are you excited I love story time I am paying rapt attention all right so there was this there's a city called Toowoomba
1: like that's actually a name it was in Australia it's down here somewhere so Toowoomba was in its like fifth year of drought and their aquifers were down to something crazy like 11 percent and so the Australian government was like, Toowoomba, like, you're in trouble. We're going to completely subsidize you for a potable wastewater treatment plant that's, like, high-tech, very, like, cutting-edge. And so basically, we'll take the wastewater, clean it, and then give it back to you. And the town went crazy. And they're like, oh, like, you can't, like, force us to drink, like, toilet water. And, you know, oh, like, you know, Whenever they we drink it, like we'll drink all the birth control, and all the men will become sterile, like crazy things. And so this town that had basically no water rejected this this plant. And so what ended up happening was at the eleventh hour, they ended up having to start building a um a pipeline from like the nearest city, like this emergency pipeline that was costing hundreds of millions of dollars to do and at this point the the um australian government was super annoyed because we're like well we offered you this you said no like it's your own fault so like we'll help you out a little bit with this pipeline but it's mostly on you um and then ironically just as like they were getting down to like six percent or something really bad um then it rained and all the water came and they were they were saved they were saved but so barely but the whole point of this is is that this these plants that they ha- they're talking about, like, did it start out as wastewater, yes. Is there anything like like the one wonderful thing about water is that water can always be cleaned. I think except for like radioactive, that's that's a little bit tricky. And then even so, still a little but probably wouldn't want to drink that waste that radioactive water that used to be. I don't know, I did look into that. But I know that wastewater can be cleaned entirely. There there's a plants in there are, there are a lot of, like, plants that it cleans the water so thoroughly. The water is so clean. that when you drink it, unless they make it dirty again, like, add some things into it before you drink it, it literally steals the nutrients and, and calcium out of your body. And, like, <laughs> so Meg and I are talking about it. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> like you'll be so well hydrated but awfully brittle. <laughs> but your skin will be glowing. <laughs> and your bones breaking.
1: You're like, don't touch me. I'm so fragile, but so beautiful. Um, but anyway, back to Rylan. Yes, the most LA name we've ever heard. Um, so it's called Ready Your LA Neighborhood.
0: Yeah, it does sound like somebody wearing like twelve hundred pairs of ripped jeans.
1: Yeah, so this is this is something that you can utilize to kind of talk with your neighbors and kind of figure out like cohesive strategies for making your neighborhood more drought resistant um but la offers like free those free trees that i was talking about like the jacker jacarandas jacarandas i don't know but it's they're pretty they're purple they have like more tree canopy
0: and that's another way also of combating that like urban heat island thing if our cities are literally just like hot gray concrete then they're a lot more miserable for all of us and like we're facing higher temperatures which increases our water need and then what do you know we don't actually have the water we need um but if we can bring the temperatures down in our cities like that's another way that we can kind of protect people and like reduce our desire to just like wastefully use water all over the place
1: like just like dancing in our sprinklers doing cartwheels
0: And then we can also look at desalinization. Um, We've mentioned it a few times, but that's another reverse osmosis process in which, like, unfortunately right now, to great expense and using a huge amount of energy, you can actually take salt water, seawater, and turn it into potable drinking water.
1: And then my very favorite thing in the whole world, which is atmospheric water generators, which is so cool. It's the coolest technology Where they literally take the the condensation out of the air, and and like they take the condensation and they make water out of it, and so there's a lot of like low tech ways you can do it, um, like passive ways, and then there's also very like high energy intensive ways which is probably what we'd end up having to use because to do it in the volume in which we need. And because like LA is by the water, there is a lot of condensation in the air. So it actually would be a very viable option for them to start investing in that. It's just, we don't have it able to produce in the volumes that we need yet to really like be able to use it as like a real, right right now it's more used for like emergency management because it can produce like, you know, like a something that's like the size of like a, a cargo a cargo box could probably produce like, you know, like 20,000 gallons, which isn't that much. And so that's about the biggest size that we have thus far. So if we were able to invest in it more,
0: yeah. Okay. I know. You're just mad because you didn't get to talk about how you hate pandas. Well, you we didn't talk about how much I hate pandas. Those animals that you referred to earlier this day. As, like, you know, those, like, black and white bears everybody thinks are so cute.
1: I know. They're so overrated. Panda bears are the worst.
0: They don't do anything. They are universally agreed upon to be adorable.
1: You know, nobody misses crows, and they're the ones that eat all the dead matter. So that, like, we don't have, like, diseases everywhere.
0: Yeah, but pandas are super cute.
1: Pandas just eat bamboo all day and are so lazy they can't even procreate.
0: But have you ever seen the videos of that lady trying to like clean up the panda cage and the pandas won't leave her alone? They're like a million little toddlers. Which actually that's someone who lives with the toddlers, not that cute. Like now that I think about
1: this, I see Megan's point. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like polar bears. Like baby polar bear cubs. They're so those are super cute. Have you
0: seen Prizzly bears? grizzly bears so like uh, gorillas no grizzly bears and polar bears have started to mate with each other as like grizzly bears go further north because of the warming and like they create these like beautiful little blonde bears they call grizzly bears
1: that's so adorable I love that